This is Beatitudes Radio. We are presenting a live worship podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the spiritual community, which is known as Church of the Beatitudes on the corner of Glendale and Seventh Day in Seventh Avenue. <laughs> Not Seventh Day. Not Seventh Day. Uh, 7th Avenue in (laughs) Phoenix, Arizona, and welcome. We are glad that you have chosen to to listen to this either live or at a later date. And also a big welcome to Janelle. Uh, Good morning. Glad you're back again. Nice to be here. We didn't scare you away after that first one, huh? No, you can't get rid of me. Fantastic. This is fun. I'm glad. (laughs) So how was your weekend? Uh, It was crazy busy fast crazy i went for a bike ride yesterday because it was so nice outside six miles yay me really six miles Mm -hmm. on a bike yes tandem well that which means you only went three miles right no of course not well there's two of you pedaling (laughs) you see you only get half the credit yeah but i was in the back so i really had to man up you know ah okay okay (laughs) Um, Janelle, the, 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 one of the reasons why we're doing this live podcast is this is an opportunity for people to engage us. Um, yes. How in this worship experience, which is different than what you would normally see at Church of the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. um, and probably the majority of churches, people don't stand up after the sermon or speak up and say, well, I disagree with that, I like that. Um, oh, I, I don't know. I, th- I think we get some hallelujahs every once in a while. Yes, don't we? we do. Yes, we do. And those are greatly appreciated. <laughs> right. But as far as the opportunity to give actual feedback immediately after you hear something, that's what this we're trying to do here. Right. We're trying to get some engagement right live, actually, when it happens. So, so how can people who are watching live, how could they engage us? Really easily. So if you're watching on Facebook Live, if you just go to your comment area and type in your question or your comment, I will see it. Or you can, that's also true in YouTube, there's also a comment area. And then you can just type in your comment or you can text us your comments and your questions. And the number to text that to is 480-389-4974. And if someone is listening to this at a later time, yes, how could they engage us? Oh, well, that would be just almost the same, except it won't be live, of course, but right. they can email it. So okay. if they have a question or a comment that they'd like to make about it, just email me at media at beatitudeschurch.org. Fantastic. I appreciate that. Sure. Today we're going to be talking about the absentee God, the idea that... Mm. God is often seen as not around. There's this void that is created because we are, in some sense, internally not aware of God's presence. Mm. And there's a passage that talks about this in the New Testament. That's Um, right. Yeah, can you share that with us? Yeah, the um, passage you're referring to is from John 14, and it's 8 through 11. It goes like this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then <clears throat> excuse me, then believe me because of who I am and what I do. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We have a opportunity to be able to during this time in the podcast to just kind of focus and if you're driving don't close your eyes continue to drive (laughs) but but you can become aware of truly being present being aware of the moment that you're in and as you do this exercise of just being fully present with wherever you are and whatever you are doing uh, we have a guest with us and Ricky is an incredibly talented guitarist and he will provide us this opportunity to, to become fully present at this very moment. Yellowstone. The first time I was there, I was enraptured by the beauty, and I was frustrated with the people, especially the traffic. It it was probably one of the most frustrating moments because everyone, it seemed like, as soon as they saw an elk, they would stop and they would slow down 
They would pull over, but some people didn't even have the courtesy to pull over. They would just stop and watch this elk. And there's only so many times you can see an elk and get excited about it, from my opinion. After a while, an elk is an elk. Well, my brother and I were riding in a pickup, and we had the kids in the back. And we decided to try an experiment. So we pulled over, and we got our kids out, and we all stood by the side of the road, and we started looking into the distance, and we were kind of, you know, doing this, if you can't, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but you kind of put your hand over your eyes, and then we started pointing and talking to each other like we were seeing elk, but there were no elk. So we did this, and then all of a sudden, people started slowing down. Not only did they start slowing down, but they actually pulled over, and people were getting out of the cars, and they were looking at what we were trying to see, which was no elks. And by the time we kind of were done with it, we had about five or six cars that had actually stopped and were looking at nothing with us until, and this is the honest truth, all of a sudden over this hill came a bunch of elk. I mean, they had been, it was amazing. It was almost like we predicted it was going to happen. And this herd of elk came over this ridge and there they were before us. As I started thinking about that, I realized the elk had been there all along, even though I couldn't see them. They felt absent, like they were not there, but ultimately they were present. But I was just not able to see them because of the geography, as well as my limitations of my senses. And that's when I started thinking this week about the idea of the absence of God. How do we deal with this? Because there are moments in people's lives where I have been, I've heard stories where people said that they truly believed that God was present with them. They could feel this. There's just something that was internally that they resonated with. And it's somehow, it just was like, that's God. And then there's other times where I've talked with people and then they felt that God was absent. There was no God whatsoever. There was this void that they felt inside of themselves. What's amazing is this idea of the presence and absence of God is nothing new. We go back into the Old Testament and immediately we become aware of the presence of God. I find it fascinating that the Genesis, the first three lines, tells us in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, God. No explanation. It just assumes there's a God, that God is present. In the garden, it is God who comes down and interacts with human beings. Later on, it will be God who will meet Moses on Mount Sinai, and Mount, Mount, excuse me, Moses says, let me see you. And the most that Moses can see is the back of God. And so very early on, you have this idea of God who is very present, who is very engaged with humanity. But this God is also confined geographically. God is located in a specific area. He is on the Mount of Sinai. He is the God of the mountain. But what happens is fascinating. In the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 14, 
when God sends them out from the mountain, God promises to go with them. Notice what it says. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And God now becomes this journeying God, but he's still limited. He's limited to his specific territory, that territory belonging to the people of Israel. So God travels with them through this Ark of the Covenant, through a tabernacle or a tent. Once the people settle in the land that God says he's going to give them, he now dwells with them in a temple. But what's fascinating is the presence of God, as you go throughout the Old Testament, becomes less interactive and more distant. It says that God looks and he, his throne is in the heavens and the temple becomes his footstool. So over time, there's this pre- the God's presence shifts and he's not as overtly present as he was at the very beginning. And then individuals sense that this God who is distancing himself now becomes absent. In the Psalms, you hear about where is God? Isaiah 45, 15, it says, Truly you are a God who has been hiding yourself, the God and Savior of Israel. By the time you get to the very end of the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, God's totally absent. And then one of the last books that we hear in the Old Testament, Daniel, Daniel The writer brings God back, but by then he's called the Ancient of Days. He's pictured as this aging deity who in retirement has become passive and silent. Jack Miles in the book God, a biography, says that by this point, God is absent. And that makes sense when you begin to move into the New Testament. Because the supernatural occurs not so much directly from God as it does God's agents, his messengers. And so it makes sense that Paul, I mean, Philip, when he sees Jesus, says to him, show us the Father, show us God. And in response, Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you cannot understand what you've seen? If you have seen me, you should know what God is like. Now, scholars listen to this this, uh, dialogue between Philip and, and Jesus, and they conjecture that this probably really didn't come from the historical Jesus. And one of the main reasons is this response of Jesus is, too alarmingly self-centered. When we read the New Testament, Testament, the evidence is that God does not like to call, I mean, Jesus does not like to call attention to himself. Instead, he always spoke about the kingdom of God. So therefore, more than likely, these words that we hear, this dialogue between Philip and Jesus, is something that was created by the early church. And Philip becomes their spokesperson. And they respond in the words of Jesus that they attribute to Jesus as if they themselves are giving their experience of Jesus at that time. It's how the early church felt about Jesus. This idea being that somehow in Jesus, God 
is known. Now, what's fascinating is nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God. It rather says that God was in Jesus. And so this is one way that people explain the absence of God. The idea being that when God wants to be known, God gets himself into our humanity. God tells us about God's self in a person. He gives us a window into the divine through human beings. It's not necessarily through angelic visitation or some type of celestial opportunism. Rather, he is known in human forms. God comes in a person, someone who is clearly provincial, a man or a woman of his or her time, one who laughs and cries and suffers just as we do, and who in the end may cry out from a cross as Jesus did in the words of the biblical psalmist, my God, my God, where are you? And the answer is God is where humans are, where human things are happening, in the home from which you come, in human needs so clearly evident in a stranger or enemy. And maybe then, one way of looking at the absence of God is that why, why, the reason why we miss God and why it feels that God is absent is because we are still looking in the wrong place. We are looking back to 30 BCE. I mean, sorry, 30 CE. We're just still believing that God is present only in the life of Jesus Whereas God can be known today through humanity, just as he was known through Jesus. So that's one way of dealing with the absence of God. That God feels absent when we neglect to see God in other human beings. But there's another way of looking at this. And this is second view. And it's presented by Robert Sokolowski, who is a philosopher and Roman Catholic priest, and he says the following, God does not appear in the world or in human experience. God is not the kind of being that can be present as a thing in the world. And yet, despite this necessary absence, God is believed to be that which gives the definitive sense to everything that does appear in the world and in experience. We first learn about the Christian God in the course of Christian living. We hear about God through preaching. We address God in prayer. And we attempt to respond to God in our actions. However, we approach God as one who will always be absent to us while we remain in something we now must call our present state. So you have two opposing views. One is the idea that God is always present in humanity. The other says that God will never be present. 
And this idea being that somehow we create this belief in our mind that God is with us, whereas in reality, as long as we are in our present state, God will always be absent. Those are two different ideas, and I encourage you to ponder them. Which one are you most comfortable with? Which one resonates better with you? Gives you more of a sense of comfort, a sense of meaning and understanding with how you face life. I challenge you to think about these things and perhaps even respond to us by the means that Janelle described as you listen to this next song. Enrique, that was so, so cool. <clears throat> this is neat, huh? Yeah, he's an amazing guitarist. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know how much uh, we're paying him, but it's definitely worth it. So, <laughs> so we're going to open it up for a discussion now, and we're going to invite our guest. We have Gary Warner here. He's an ASU journalist, or a journalist in Phoenix from ASU, correct? Sure. Yes. Thank you for being with us, Gary. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I'm going to start off kind of with a personal experience and how I felt God. Okay. And go from there. Um, I guess it was about 11 years ago. I experienced God, but not in the way that you would think. I had a brain aneurysm. Mm. And at the time, I don't remember much about it, thankfully. But afterwards, I learned that there were about 62 people that prayed over me, not only for my life, but my recovery. 
and that pretty much for me is how I experienced God was just seeing this collaboration and this unification of everybody coming together and doing something corporate. So it wasn't during the actual no. time when they were praying because you weren't even aware of that. Right. But it was post. Yeah, that you and it were wasn't told. even during the, the aneurysm itself where, you know, I would pray to God and, and have some sort of enlightenment. Right. No, this was for me it was God's presence felt when I, I realized how many people had me in their prayers. Okay. So Go on. So my first question, I guess, is I think we're pretty much conditioned, aren't we, to experience God in a certain way because of the church doctrines and the rituals. We're kind of conditioned to think of God theistically. Yes. And I think a large part of that comes from the Bible. The Bible Mm -hmm. presents that image of God, not again, not consistently throughout, because I think over time God shifts. And by Mm -hmm. the the end of the New Testament, all you have is the Spirit. I mean, Jesus is gone, and then the only thing that really is somehow a Spirit. What what do you think, Gary? Are we conditioned more than just through the Bible to experience God in this theistic way. I'm still getting my head around the fact that you're an elk whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Wasn't that amazing? I mean, that was true story. That well, was true. And I think it's a great illustration of a couple of things. One is the limits of our perception, right? When you started looking there were no elk, but in fact, the elk were there. They were just beyond the crest of the hill. Mm -hmm. And then, because you sought them without even realizing it, they came into your field of vision, they became real. Yes. Um, And in terms of the shift of God, I don't know that God's doing the moving there, it's perhaps us. Uh, Going back to your elk illustration, let's let's imagine those kids in the back of the pickup truck looking at the elk elk herd, and the pickup truck starts pulling away, and the kids might say, oh, look, the elk are moving away from us. No, 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 we're moving away from the elk. And in the same way, I I think in terms of a shift in the way we experience God, in God's proximity to us, that's an evolution within us, as opposed to necessarily saying, well, it's it's a change in God. I, I write about science. I deal with scientists, biochemists, material scientists. And mm-hmm. something I learned from them is that even the most acute instruments we have, things like uh, cryo-electron microscopes, there's a lot they can't see. There's a lot they can't pick up. And we're all aware of that, well, we're, we're limited by our tools. We're limited by our ability um, to experience things. Um, and that there's a great deal out there that is yet to be experienced um, and to be seen. And I think, you know, God is God is there. Um, I, I lean toward you. You gave us two examples today. Yes, right? mm-hmm. I lean toward the former, the idea that um, we experience God together. There was a reference today during the sermon, very briefly, to um, Saint Teresa, Teresa of Avila, in Spain, back in the 1500s. She was a Spanish noblewoman, a mystic, a theologian, um, and she said, you know, 
the, the only body Christ has in the world is our body. The, the only hands or feet or ears or eyes that God have in the world are ours. And that, I think, reinforces the way I have experienced God through relationships, right? And it doesn't mean that, well, that, that doesn't mean God's not, God's not real. It's just, it's just those warm, fuzzy feelings you get from other people. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I, you know, to draw a, a more limited example, I, I love my wife. And, and I believe my wife, my wife loves me. And yet that love is not perceptible. You can't point to it. You can't smell it, taste it. But it is there. There is, now we can, we can point to evidence of that love. But that's not the love itself. Or you could be deceiving yourself. Absolutely. And your wife could be deceiving you. <laughs> Thank you. In the sense of saying, look, right. there's this guy, he's providing, and he is a good partner. Do I love him? No, but if he wants to interpret my actions and my behavior is love, well, I'm not going to stop him. I look forward to Julie's next conversation with you. Yeah. All <laughs> right. <laughs> but do, do you see what I'm saying? Is literally, you could create in your mind yeah. this idea that this person loves me yeah. when it's not even there. I mean... And so can't the same thing happen with God? Can't we create God in our minds, either present or absence? And it, it's just head games we're doing to we, ourselves? We create our engagement with God. We choose God or not mm -hmm. each day. We choose to inhabit the spirit of God, to be the hands and feet of God in the world, or we choose not to. You know, relationships are, all relationships require Effort require presence, require you to partake in them. But I, can I interrupt? Yes. I have an interesting quote that I came across yesterday from Greta Vosper. And if anybody knows who she is, she is a UCC ordained practicing minister in Canada. Right, United Church of Canada. But she's also an atheist. Yes. A self-proclaimed atheist. Anyway, she... Um, <clears throat> She's interpreting, I don't know who this is, William of Oakham. Do you know who this is? And he had an interesting thought. He said, as science has been able to explain more and more of what we experience in the world, God has had, is needed less and less as an explanatory factor. Mm. So you were talking about the science end of it, and that made me think of that. I, th I think that offers an opportunity for us to refine our understanding of God. Mm. But everything you, in the, but for example, in that first description of God, hmm. this idea that God is somehow present through relationships. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that was God. I was saying my understanding or my interaction of God was through in, in that form. Right. So you choose to believe in a God and hmm. attribute those feelings or that experience of interacting with other people as somehow linking into God. Yes. My, my recognition of my kinship, my, my shared family with the world at large, um, I, I believe that is, well, the presence of God is there when I see that. Yes, you are my brother and you are my sister mm -hmm. and, and we are part of the same organism as opposed to saying we're separate, we're different. 
so so let's say Greta Vosper, mm-hmm. as you brought up, is an atheist. Yeah. She could have these same experiences and feelings in relationship. Right. And not even mention God. Right. Yep. And not call it God. And yep. not call it God. So right. is it, again, this whole idea in this first idea that God is present through humanity, is that just a human construct that mm-hmm. we have created in our, our own minds to explain something that our senses cannot interact with or perceive, but we just attribute it to something we Again, call... Again, we're conditioned. So, how, so now how do you re- reply to, to that? I don't know if it's either or. I don't know if this is a mm. dichotomy. Yeah. Explain. Well, it, it, I think our experience of God is open and moving and changing. My understanding of God is dramatically different than it was 10 years ago and also 20 years ago. And I am growing and I feel my understanding, my appreciation for the divine is growing as well. Does that mean it's just been a, a linear upward spiral? No, there, it's, it's, I struggle with doubt and questions, and, um, but I choose based on the abundance of, if you want to call it evidence in my life, or how you interpret that evidence. That's all we all have. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I, I choose to to believe in the divine. That Now, not necessarily God as object, mm-hmm. God as person, yeah. um, which you could say, well, that makes you an atheist, right? A, <laughs> a non-theist. A non-theist. Um, I'm still figuring that out. and But I... I in all faiths, uh, I think there is this sense of the divine being present uh, in a corporate setting when we're with others, mm-hmm. as opposed to when we're on our own. On our own, I think mm. there's, there's something holistic to God, something con- about connection. Yeah, but a lot of people would disagree with you because. On any topic, yes. <laughs> um, well, before I chase that rabbit, is there any is there any questions we have? Uh, no, but I do have um, a thought um, that came in that says, "Why do you think humans need to see something in order to believe it?" The saying goes, "You have to see it to believe it." Are there other senses we could evoke in being in the presence of God, and are they evoked through ritual practices? There's a lot of that to unpack, but... Read, read that first part again. Yeah. Why do you think humans need to see something in order to believe it? The because, same... I mean, you, you could be considered crazy. <laughs> How? Well, I mean, I can believe in, you know, that there's a person sitting over there and... Do you know who I'm talking about, that person right over there, Gary? Do you mean those elk? right Right, but I mean I could make up people in my mind that I'm seeing I could hear voices in my head and people would say that I'm crazy so what do you or they might say you're full of faith and so nobody called did they call Moses crazy 
Well, think about what Abraham. Think mm-hmm. about the story. If you want to take that story literal, where Abraham is going to be told by God to kill his son. Yeah. Anyone who does that today is yeah certifiable, right? So <laughs> I, I think this idea that I, I so I'm going to go back to what you were saying. You you say we fill it in in community in this sense of connection mm-hmm. with each other, but this question is. Is there other ways of, of perceiving God without being considered crazy? I mean, if, like, again, if someone said, God told me, and we're hearing that a lot over the last couple yes, of years. God told me, and especially when it comes to the political realm, a lot of that we're hearing. Mm-hmm. How, how do you know that's, do you believe them? And if not, why not? I... I think a lot of those comments are engineered for personal gain, mm-hmm. and when that's yeah. when that's the motivation, I'm thinking that's probably not God. God doesn't care about one party or another, or one sports team over another. And when God is invoked in that way, which you can, you can use God in any way, shape, or form. It's I don't I don't believe that that's that's the spirit of the divine. I, well then you got to throw out the Old Testament. Okay. Because in the Old Testament, you have this idea yes. God, that God, God is us. Yes. God is on our side uh, yep. in anyone else. Yep. He's mm-hmm. against. He's for us, against them. Yep. And the only way you can become linked with God is you have to become one of us. Correct. So how's that any different than this idea that people want to say God is for the United States. God is for my sports team. It's probably not. And I, I, I have always struggled with that. I don't, the, the idea of the chosen people, the idea of mm-hmm. God is only for us. I mean, you, you could probably pick any tribe of Bronze Age nomads and they had their own God. Right. And he was on their side and only their side. Right. And that's an ancient practice. Um, and that, especially if you could capture the other God, as yes. we find in those stories in... Yep. Uh, I think it's in Samuel where they capture the Ark of the Covenant. Now they got God. They took your God from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe today it's more about personality. Explain. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm pretty creative, so I experience God when I draw. Or maybe other people experience God when they go on a hike. Or sometimes you experience God when you're thinking about God. It's a mind thing. So... <laughs> So how do you, Janelle, how do you react to Sokolowski when he says, Mm. God is not the kind of being that can be present as a thing in the world. And yet, despite this necessary absence, God is believed to be that which gives the definitive sense of to everything that does appear in the world and experience. He's basically saying is God is not present, but it's something that we choose to believe. Mm -hmm. Does that bother you? I don't know. I think, um, yeah. What is that? Why? why? That is just it's just something that you've created in your head. He's saying that's something that I just created in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't like that we have to label it. He's saying we shouldn't label it. Yeah. Well, he doesn't say we should or shouldn't. He says it's just something we create. A figment of our imagination. 
or human construct is what he's saying. God will always be absent in the present state that human beings are in. Okay. But we choose to believe that God is. And again, this is a philosopher and Roman Catholic priest. Oh, he's Catholic. Roman Catholic priest. That surprises me. Okay. What do you think, Gary? The second view. I I don't like the dichotomy there. This 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 idea that it's either or. Mm-hmm. That there is this God or it's there's one because just because we choose to believe in a God. It could be both simultaneously, right? Yeah. He's painted this as a dichotomy. And I don't, I don't like that split. Right. Because my okay, let's if you want to speak in objective subjective terms, my faith is subjective. Mm-hmm. The reality of a God exists outside of my subjective views, whether there is one or there is not one. Yes. So yeah. the, the, and therefore that dispels that idea of a dichotomy Very that it's either point. or. Yes, because if I choose to believe there is no God, that doesn't mean there isn't. Right. Correct. And that's... And if I choose to believe there is a God, it doesn't mean that there is. Correct. Right. <laughs> this sounds agnostic <laughs> or something. Well, it, I, I think it's just brutal honesty. If we're going to... I mean, brutal honesty and, is... And freeing to some degree. Uh, in, yeah. in what way? Well, in your sense of <laughs> making the right decision, choosing the right team... Um, but that ba- that is based upon that picture of God, mm-hmm. which then goes back to what you said from the very beginning, Janelle, was that it We're was something that it was some a conditioned. Mm-hmm. So we are taught mm-hmm. about God. Yes, we just is our parents, other the rituals, human beings, the doctrines, the creeds, all of it. So yeah. then, ultimately, going back to what you just said, Gary, that image of God has a huge significance in forming how you interact with other people, how you see other people, and how you see yourself. Would you agree? Yes. Speaking for myself now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But this goes back to, you know, that five, six hundred year old paraphrase from Teresa of Avila. This God's only present in, in those around us. We yes, we, we have been conditioned. Well, you could argue that's the act of God working through all of us to mm-hmm. make God real in in the minds and hearts of the new generation mm-hmm. who has true. not yet experienced God. Yeah. It's it's how you pass on a culture and perhaps this is how you pass on. Well, this is wow. how you pass on a faith. Yeah. Yeah, so I have a question that came up um we have witnessed religious religions change and evolve and even reverse back to antiquity. In thought, how do you propose we experience God in the 21st century when so many other things call for our attention? Well, I, so forward, going forward, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Gary hit it. I, I, you know, one of the things that Church of the Beatitudes says a lot is making love real. I, I think you just nailed it. Make making God real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that only that not only affects how what we teach young people. But it also, through our conduct, and listening to what you're saying, through our conduct and our words as we relate to other people, we are making God real one way or the other for people. Would you agree with that? Yes. 
but I'm, that's not me. That's I'm going to give credit to the St. Teresa for that one. <laughs> well, and I think I think that goes back too, though, from St. Teresa goes back to to Jesus. Oh yeah, and and how he was perceived by the early church is that somehow they saw in the stories that were passed down through those decades, they heard in those stories a an image of God yes. that resonated with them. And therefore, they, that's why I love what that one um, quote in, in that I shared was that nowhere is Jesus called God. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like that as well. But an expression of God. Yes. And I think that's a great place for us to... I thought it was called Son of God. That's a whole other term that goes back into the Old Testament. Son of God, Son of Man, doesn't necessarily mean deity. I mean, there were, the kings were known as sons of God, oh. um, both within the Greek culture and oh. in the Hebrew culture. Did not know that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he is God. Okay. It's, um, I think it's in Which Psalm really 1. Which really is hard with the Trinity. Well, again, the <laughs> Trinity is a concept that, in my, just in my opinion, that's a, that's a concept that is hundreds of years in the future after Jesus. Yeah. And then once you establish it, then you can go back in the, into the, the Bible and find it. Okay. Um, because if there was a Trinity, um, they were very much, you know, the Shema, God is one. You know, that's... You hmm. can't mess with that one if you're Jewish. Okay. So, Enrique, we need uh, we need some more music to clear our minds. What do you What do you got for us? Um, this next song is called uh, "What a Friend We Have in Jesus." What a friend we have in Jesus. Nice. Thank you. 
Well, Janelle, our time has come to a close. That went fast. It did. Wow. And I, I am so grateful that Gary was here again with us. Oh, me too. Yeah. I thought that was a really good discussion. We could talk more and more. I don't yeah, feel well, like we could end it right now. And hopefully that's what this podcast will do for others. Um, that yeah. worship in this expression, doing worship in this format, hopefully will spur people to not only experience God um, as present, mm -hmm. but yet at the same time engage their ideas about God and talk about that with other people. Wow. That elevates this podcast, doesn't it? Yeah, hopefully it does. <laughs> as we come to a close, though, I'd like to share with you a story. In a fascinating interview shortly before his death, the celebrated British actor Alec Guinness who, by the way, played Obi-Wan Kenobi oh. in George Lucas's original Star Wars trilogy. Hmm. He, he told this in this interview, he told it how it was in later life, he became a Christian and a Catholic. For many years, he had been agnostic. And life seemed little more than pure chance, a colorful accident at best and pointless. He was playing the lead in one of the Father Brown stories written by G.K. Chesterton. Mm. And they were filming on location in a small French village. One night, when the filming for the day was finished, Guinness began to walk back to the village where he was staying. He was still attired in the priest's garb that he had worn in the film. And it was a dark night. <laughs> As he walked toward the village, he heard footsteps running behind him. Hmm. ended up being this small French boy who came up to him and took hold of his hand quite naturally and held it tightly hmm. and walked with him toward the village. The little boy chatted happily as they were walking, and Guinness remained absolutely silent because he didn't want to speak, lest his obvious accent frighten the little boy. Hmm. And the little boy realized that he was not at all what he appeared to be. When they arrived at the village, the boy loosed his hand after giving it one final squeeze, and he went happily toward his home. Hmm. Guinness reports that he stopped right there, stood dead still, and began to think. That boy trusted me mm. because I wore the uniform of something that meant trust to him. Sometimes the uniform does not always mean that. But for that little boy, mm -hmm. it did. He had a sense of God and of a presence reaching into his life in a very human way in that of a village priest who didn't need to speak a single word. And so some of hmm. Jesus' earliest followers seemed to hear him say in response to Philip, believe me, God is here in me, and that is what many people believe. Many people believe that God's presence was there in that man, Jesus. That this presence 
is still here in human form mm. in a variety of sorts. Nice. That to me is something that is, that it's something that could literally continue to be unpacked. Oh, and it sure. And it has huge ramifications in how we live in relationship to each other. Yeah. And with that in mind, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us. And within in two weeks, we'll be meeting again. Yeah. And take care. Stay safe out there. Bye, everybody.